Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Across Storied Lands. I'm your host, Jordana Manchester, a Canadian-born writer, travel advisor, and anthropology enthusiast. Each week, this podcast will feature themes around travel, culture, and the human condition. But first, I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Squamish Nation, proud descendants of the Coast Salish Aboriginal peoples. It's important as a settler on this land to acknowledge the ongoing stewardship between Indigenous peoples and their lands, and this is how I will open every episode from here on out. Now, before I dive into today's very special episode, I want to start off with a big old Canadian apology. This is indeed a weekly podcast, and many of you sent emails and messages asking where last week's episode was, and I have to be honest, I was both humbled and really embarrassed. Humbled because this is my first foray into podcasting, and I honestly didn't expect to have so much support right out of the gate, so thank you for that. And so embarrassed because I didn't deliver on my promise. So I'm very sorry about that. And then when I did go to hit the publish button later on in the week, I was suddenly caught up in the throngs of a political and racial movement, and I felt like it wasn't quite the right time to talk about long-distance romances. If you recall from the first episode, I mentioned that the month of June would be dedicated to love and travel in a series called Pandemic Love. And with everything that's gone on over the past week and a half, maybe a series like this is exactly what we all need right now. Over the last 10 days, much of the world has reawakened to what I hope is a new era. One that's on a fast track to promoting racial equality, cultural understanding, and the beginning of the end to systemic racism. The irony is not lost on me that in my last episode I talked a little bit about being bi-ethnic in a predominantly white community. I didn't go too far into my negative experiences, but sadly there were, there were many. And I still experience microaggressions and racism, even in this very open-minded community that I live in now. But my hope is this movement, this re-education of the masses, will make racism a thing of the past. Now, let's talk about love. Pandemic Love is a passion project of mine. It's a collection of stories from a tribe of multi-ethnic humans who've crossed racial, cultural, and sexual boundaries to find love, heal from lost love, and seek out self-love. It was a project born out of a desire to bring some light to what felt like a really dark time in our history. I wanted to show that even in a time of isolation and forced disconnection, we still find ways to love one another, to connect, to find joy, even if it means revisiting memories of happier times. I asked more than 150 individuals around the world if they would share their thoughts and love during the pandemic, and how travel may have played a role in their love lives. Some submitted their stories anonymously, some shared their names, and others are very dear friends who've let me share their stories around the dinner table in the past, and now I get to share them with all of you. Thank you to everyone for giving me an audience and allowing me into such an intimate corner of your life. It's one thing to hear someone's story. It's another to have permission to share it with the world. So allow me to take you on a journey of love, soulmates, and transformation. This is definitely a story for the romantics. And it also happens to be a story about two very good friends of mine. I've been joking with them over the years to please make this into some kind of Hollywood script or novel because it really is the loveliest love story. 
So Naya is an American Danish writer friend of mine who's been living in Kuala Lumpur for the last four years. And she's been living with her boyfriend, Kevin, for seven years. And they've lived all over the world together. They originally met in a cafe in Denmark about nine years ago. And when I approached them with this project idea, it was Kevin who piped up and said, hey, let me tell you the story from my perspective. So this is Kevin's point of view on the story. So they originally met in Copenhagen. And at the time, Kevin and his then girlfriend, Kate, are there on holiday together, which is not going very well. And Nye is there visiting her sister who's studying architecture. So on the day that Kevin meets Naya, he just had this massive fight with Kate. He storms out of the hotel room, down the street to this lovely little cafe, and he's sitting there drowning his sorrows in a latte. And this is what he says when he meets Naya for the first time. Naya strutted in the door, and she's kind of hard to miss. A big afro. She wore Chuck Taylors and denim overalls. She didn't fit in at all. But she ordered her coffee in perfect Danish and then sat down at the big window, watching all the bikes go by. I knew it was kind of wrong, but I, I felt this need to talk to her. So I sat there and waited a while to make sure she wasn't waiting for anyone. And then I kind of sauntered over. I introduced myself, and oh, I was so awkward. If this was back home, there was no way I could have done something like that. And honestly, I knew Danish girls were really confident, so I don't even know where I got the nerve. But she was so beautiful. And then plus, here I am, this jerk with a girlfriend, sitting back at the hotel room, and I'm hitting on this other girl. Anyway, she smiled at me, and she told me her name, and it was in perfect English with no accent at all. And then we just spent the next three hours talking about life. We talked about everything our childhoods, our families, relationships, school, careers. I even told her about my fight with Kate. I never felt so comfortable with a woman in my life. But in my pocket, my Viber app on my phone kept going off. Kate was looking for me. And I had to go. Oh, I really didn't want to. The time had gone by so fast. So here I was, kind of stumbling over my goodbyes, and Naya just stood up. She gave me the biggest hug. She grabbed my phone, and she tapped her email into it, and then she looked up at me. Keep in touch, that's all she said. She spun on her heels, and out the door she went. I was smitten. Kate and I broke up two weeks after we got home. No big surprise there. And I spent the next year and a half following Naya around the world on my computer screen. She shared all of her adventures with me, and I was quietly working out a way to be with her. I worked two jobs, got a cheaper apartment, and started saving as much money as I could. We Skyped almost every day, no matter where she was in the world, no matter what the time zone. Naya moved from Australia to England to work a short teaching contract. She joked with me that I should just quit my job and travel the world with her. A week later, I handed over my keys to my landlord packed a massive suitcase, bought a one-way ticket to London and showed up at the door of her classroom to surprise her. She cried. She had to finish her whole class with makeup streaming all down her face. It was one of the best days of my life. She Stole My Chair by Anonymous I was in Chicago for a conference on social media and branding a few years back. But I really did not want to be there. 
I had two young kids at home. It was the end of the school year. I had just wrapped up a really messy and really expensive divorce. I had a lot on my plate and sitting down for five days with a bunch of influencers was not on my to-do list. But the boss insisted. On the second day, a few of my colleagues were supposed to be saving me a seat while I nipped out for some coffee. I came back and there was a woman sitting in my chair. My purse was hanging off the back of the chair, so I walked up to her and I looked at her and said, Hey, this is my chair. I probably could have been more polite, but you know. She looked up at me and smiled. Is your name on it? I looked around the table at my colleagues' stunned faces and thought, Oh, here we go. I do not need this today. But before the rest of the table could chime in or I had time to come up with a snappy comeback, she just kind of giggled and slid over to the chair next to me. I sat down feeling a little flustered at having any kind of confrontation this early in the morning and without a cup of coffee in me. But she just kept smiling at me. We sat there and listened to the session, but every few minutes I caught her side glancing my way. Near the end of the session, she nonchalantly slid a folded piece of paper under my laptop. What now? I was thinking. Want to have lunch with me? It said. I don't know what propelled me to say yes. Maybe it's because she was sitting right next to me and openly rejecting her would be more awkward than just saying yes. I mean, it was a business conference and it was just lunch, right? We had lunch. Then we had dinner. Then cocktails. And then we sat together for the next three days and we spent every single night together. It was fireworks. We spent the next couple of years flying back and forth across the country, spending Christmas with each other's families. When COVID hit, we were devastated. We were supposed to fly to Italy in March for our very first trip away together. I was going to propose, but everything's on hold now. We love each other too much not to make things work, but this pandemic certainly hadn't made things any easier. The Loud One by Anonymous It took me a while to like her. Well, in that way, anyway. I mean, I thought she was gorgeous, and so did all of my friends, but she was always side-talking to people in class, kind of being disruptive, and I know it drove our professor insane. She was a transfer student from Barcelona, or Barcelona, as she would correct me later on. Halfway through the semester, I got stuck in a group project with her, and honestly, I thought it was going to be hell. I was kind of an introvert and a nerd. I was definitely a more serious student, and I was older than everyone else. I was taking the class as part of my PhD. Anyway, back to this project. We had to give a presentation on the implications of Brexit from a cultural and socioeconomic perspective. Yeah, like that's going to be easy. Our group was pretty international, which I thought would make it really interesting. Katerina was from Spain, I was Chinese-Canadian, And our group mates were from the States, Australia, Portugal, Northern Ireland, and South Africa. All we did was fight and argue. It was a whole lot of right fighting. Everyone's personal and historical experiences were being brought up. Lots of feelings were hurt. But Katerina, even though she was the loudest out of all of us, she kind of brought us together. She was really bright and thoughtful and intuitive and passionate. I started to really, really like her. And I eventually found out she liked me too. So after we gave our presentations at the end of the semester, I asked her out on a date and she said yes. We actually dated until the end of the school year and then she had to return to Barcelona to finish her degree. But we stayed in touch. 
And if Spain opens up in the fall, I was thinking of flying out there to see her. We'll see what happens. Ever wonder what happened to that old college flame of yours? You know, the one that you thought you would spend forever with? Well, if so, you're really going to like this tale. This is called The Do-Over, Natalia and Len's story. Len and I broke up 20 years ago, right after college. We wanted different things and we were going in different directions, literally. I flew off to New Zealand to do my master's and Len stayed behind in Canada to work and build a life. He wasn't interested in travel and adventure. He was a small town guy and wanted to put some roots down, get married, have children, the whole white picket fence thing and everything. I was more of a wild child. We stopped talking to each other a few months after we broke up and I was so heartbroken, but I knew we had to move on. So I finished up my master's and I stayed behind and eventually moved to Wellington with my boyfriend. We got married, had a daughter, a couple of dogs, bought a house. I did think of Len every now and then. It was hard not to. I even tried finding him on social media, but there was nothing there. Then, just over four years ago, my husband died of a brain aneurysm. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through, and honestly, I did a terrible job of grieving him. And even though my husband and I had created an incredible life for ourselves and we had this great community of friends, all of our families lived back in Canada, so it was really hard. I felt like I was standing at this precipice and I was so wrapped up in my own grief. Something had to change. So one night after I put our daughter to bed, I logged onto my computer to write an email to my mom. I was coming home to Toronto. I had my Facebook open and a message came through. It was from Len. It was the first time I felt any kind of excitement in such a long time. So naturally I accepted and we started chatting. It turns out he'd been looking for me and heard that my husband had died through a mutual college friend of ours. Even with a 19-hour time difference, we chatted until my son came up. Len had been married too, never had children though. He and his wife hadn't lasted very long. We were way too young, he said. And he never stopped thinking about me. We messaged and Skype for a few more months. Len became a lifeline for me. We laughed so much. We reminisced about our college days, but we also talked about the future, what we wanted, how we wanted to do life differently. The sparks were flying across the ocean, but we both needed to know what it would be like in person. So, Len flew into Wellington just before Valentine's Day this year. I was like a love-struck teenager. I could not wait to see him. And it turns out my daughter loved him. He was goofy, and he made her laugh. He brought her a stuffed polar bear and some books about butterflies. She loved butterflies. While COVID was busy making headlines around the world, the two of us were starting to get a bit nervous. I kept thinking that it was a sign. It was too early to fall in love again, I kept telling myself. That I was somehow disrespecting my husband's memory. I called my mom back home. She said I was being ridiculous. You don't even believe in signs, she said. Stop reading into things. Let the walls fall. What was supposed to be a three-week trip turned into a three-and-a-half-month-long courtship. Len is the new love of my life, or maybe the old love of my life, maybe the original love of my life. When the lockdown came, he didn't even try to book a flight home. I don't know what we're going to do when this visa runs out, but as soon as it's safe, Len is bringing me and my daughter home. This next story is beautiful and full of hope. 
It's one of transformation, self-acceptance, and it reminds me of one of my favorite Emily McDowell quotes. The quote reads as follows. Finding yourself is not really how it works. You aren't a $10 bill in last year's winter coat pocket. You are also not lost. Your true self is right there, buried under cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and inaccurate conclusions you drew as a kid that became your beliefs about who you are. Finding yourself is actually returning to yourself, a remembering who you were before the world got its hands on you. Now here's the story. When Souls Find Each Other by Anonymous I was married for 13 years to the father of my children, and it was a marriage that ended eight years ago. I dated for a while in the earlier years, but the more men I met, the more I just wanted to be alone. I sought out the solo life, working on loving myself and working on finding out who I was and what drives me. It's been a learning process. I became extremely happy with my life and what I created for myself, but I began to notice I was also attracted to women. At the beginning of this year, I read a post in a local women's group by an incredible woman that I was drawn to. I reached out to her and we started a friendship. I told her I was questioning my sexuality. She welcomed me with open arms and basically said, I will walk beside you through this. You are not alone. The more I peeled back her layers, the more I discovered about her, the more I liked her. Then COVID hit and suddenly we had lots of time to connect, to chat into the wee hours of morning, go for walks in nature, all socially distant, of course. I thought about her all the time. Then one day she texted me. I have something to ask you. Do you have feelings for me that are more than a friendship? It hit me in the face. I didn't see it coming, but then I did. It seemed scary at first. Who am I now? How would my important people react? Would they accept me? I just decided to take a chance and follow my heart. I let my guard down, allowed myself to feel whatever I felt and just accept it fully. What we have now is so beautiful, honest, raw, trusting, and sincere. I couldn't ask for anything more. We truly believe we're each other's soulmates, perfectly matched in a global pandemic like no other. Now we come to the final story in this week's episode of Pandemic Love, and I've left it for last because our storytellers are two star-crossed lovers who've been dealt a pretty heavy hand. They were the very first people to submit their story, and because of the nature of their situation, I've been in contact with them quite frequently over the last few months. We initially had a phone interview, as complete strangers, and we ended up talking for a couple of hours. We were all in tears by the end of the call. They sent me a written account of their story later on, and there are a few details I've left out, just for timing purposes, and with their permission, of course. They're admittedly quite shy and asked me to use their first names only, but they've also asked that we all send some positivity their way and you'll soon learn why. This is their story. Could times be any tougher? Beth and Ryan's story. Beth, a history teacher from Abbotsford, British Columbia, had been dating Ryan, an English teacher and resident of Spokane, Washington, for a number of years. They met on a high school volunteer trip to Peru. They were each traveling with their students as part of a cultural exchange program. I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but it was definitely love at first sight for me, Beth said. It took him a while to figure out I was even a lie, but you know how guys can be sometimes. Everything has to be spelled out. There were all these other female teachers that I was sure he was flirting with, but then I realized it's just his personality. Super friendly, upbeat, always trying to make everyone laugh. 
Then one night at one of the group dinners, we kind of had a lady in the tramp moment when we both reached across the table for more ceviche. He kind of stared at me and it was really awkward. I felt like a deer in the headlights. I tried to laugh it off even though it was so obvious I was blushing. We spent the rest of dinner chatting and it was pretty clear there was a lot of chemistry. We kept it professional though. We didn't spend any time alone with each other on that trip, but Ryan made me promise to let him take me out on a date when we got home. And he did. It was the best date I had ever been on. For the next three years, we spent every single holiday together and most weekends. The border guys knew us so well, they nicknamed us Romeo and Juliet. It was really cute. We volunteered in Africa together, traveled Southeast Asia, dove the Great Barrier Reef. We even went on holiday with each other's families. The ultimate test, if you ask me. We were head over heels in love. Then one day, Ryan phoned me up in the middle of the week, and he said he had something really important to talk to me about. I thought for sure he was going to pop the question. I freaked out, but in a good way. I phoned my girlfriends and my mom, telling them all I thought he was going to propose. I had everyone whipped into this frenzy. I remember him pulling into my driveway. It was a miserable, rainy afternoon. I was almost nauseous with excitement, and I didn't even let him knock. I just flung the door open. He was standing there on my doorstep with tears streaking down his face. My heart literally dropped out of me and shattered to the floor. I gotta tell you something, he said. He was breaking up with me. That was it. I'd found my soulmate. He didn't want me anymore. Here I was planning our wedding in my head and it was all a dream. He took a couple of steps towards me and I remember holding my hand up. And it was like he was reading my mind. B, that's what he calls me. It's not, it's not what you think. Can I just... Can you just sit with me for a minute? I backed up, let him come in, and we sat down on the living room couch. A place we'd spent hundreds of nights before. Laughing, sipping wine, playing Scrabble into the wee hours of morning, making love. I remember his hands were shaking. I was scared. He took a deep breath and dropped the proverbial hammer. B, my cancer is back, and it's bad. I don't know what came over me, but I started to laugh hysterically like a deranged hyena. I couldn't stop. Ryan just looked at me, wide-eyed and confused. I thought you were coming to end us, I laughed, shouted at him. No, babe, but this is kind of worse, don't you think? I think I was in shock. No, no, I know I was in shock. I got a hold of myself and we spent the next three hours hammering out in painstaking detail how we were going to beat this. Ryan had survived cancer once before as a child. This time around, he had a rare kind of pancreatic cancer, one that if he got it operated on and had radiation, he had a higher survival rate, more than regular pancreatic cancer. But he was going to have to leave school for a while for this fight, and I wanted to be by his side every step of the way. So Ryan went into treatment, and every three days I drove down to Spokane to be with him and his family. The operation ended up being a success, but it was well over a year until Ryan was back on his feet and feeling somewhat normal again. We got married in December, a month after Ryan's last radiation treatment. It was a small ceremony, just a few friends and family. He didn't feel well enough for a big shindig, and we didn't care. We just wanted to be married. Things were looking up, and we were in the midst of planning his move to North Vancouver from the States, but COVID dealt us another blow in March. To make matters worse, Ryan is sick again and in hospital in Seattle. I've only been allowed down once, and I couldn't even visit him because of the lockdown. I'm trying to stay positive. I get daily, no, hourly updates from his parents that he's doing extremely well, but I just want to get him home. So please, 
Tell your listeners to send us some good thoughts and positive vibes. Ryan's dream is to see the Great Migration in Tanzania, and as soon as I can spring him out, that's exactly where I'm taking him for our honeymoon. Beth, we're sending you buckets of good thoughts from around the world. And to Ryan, the Across Storylines community is standing behind you and we're rooting for you both. And I know you two will be perched atop a dusty safari truck watching droves of wildebeest and zebras streaming across your trusty Nikon lens before you know it. You've got this. And that's it for this week's episode of Across Storylands. Thank you so much to all of our incredible storytellers for submitting your stories. I hope I did them justice. And thank you to this amazing community for listening in. A special shout out to my mom, my brother who are listening. Thank you for your support. I hope you'll tune in next week for another very special episode of Pandemic Love here on Across Storylands. If you have a story you would like to submit about love and travel, have questions about this episode, or you have a topic idea for a future episode, please feel free to send me an email at jordana at storylandstravel.com or if you're listening to me here on Anchor, leave me a voicemail. I'm proud to say my podcast is now available on six different platforms, including Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. I know many of you listen to me on Spotify, so hit that subscribe button so you're notified the moment a new episode drops. And if you've been enjoying the podcast thus far, please leave a review or share with a friend. Thanks again, and remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.